Hey everybody, welcome to episode 270 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm excited to talk about today's topic where I'm going to wade into the deep end on a topic that has been weighing on my mind a lot recently and is probably weighing on yours, and it's this topic of what is the impact or how should you think about using super shoes in your training? How should you think about using super shoes in your training. And as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago in my conversation with Sasha Gaulish, this is an area that is getting a lot of speculation as people try to think about what potentially the impact of super shoes could be on training. And yet we don't have a lot of information or studies yet on the true impact. And so at this point, we're all just trying to figure it out. So what I'm going to do is walk through a series of questions you might ask yourself about super shoes from the very basics of should I use them, should I get them, to how they might impact your training and racing. And I'm going to give you my perspective on each of those questions, but also try to paint the picture of both potential sides of the issue so that you can make your own decisions based on the information that we have now. Again, we don't have all the answers. And so what I'm going to present for you is the options and perspectives on each of these questions, the data that we do have, and my own personal hypothesis about each of these things. And then you can make those choices for yourself. So we'll dig into the topic of super shoes on this episode. Before we get there, I've got a couple of quick things for you. First of all, shout out to Inside Tracker, who will be sponsoring this episode. Thanks again to them for their partnership and for working with me on this episode. Secondly, I've got to give a shout out to you as listeners because I'm about to, with the release of this episode, hit a big, big podcast milestone, which is that, as I mentioned earlier in the year, it was on the horizon. We'll be hitting 2 million downloads for the Running Road podcast with the release of this episode in the next few days. So that is a big, big milestone in podcasting. I think it took me about 160 episodes to go from zero to a million and then another 110 or so episodes to go from a million to two million. So our trajectory is speeding up as we go, but this is a big milestone and just means a lot to me. It makes me reflect on this journey in the podcast and makes me thankful for you guys for listening and for supporting the work that I've been doing now since December of 2016. It also makes me appreciative of the people that I've been able to meet along the way as a part of this journey, not just the folks that I've had on to interview, but also some of you as listeners who have reached out and connect with me, connected with me about the impact of this podcast in your running life. And it just makes me very, very thankful to be able to do this and share my knowledge with you through this format. Incidentally, we also hit a milestone with the Clean Sport Collective podcast for those who listen to me over there as well with Kara Goucher and Shanna Burnett. We just had a million downloads last week for that podcast, which was started in June of 2019. So that one is progressing along well and being well supported as well. So I want to thank you all for listening to both podcasts, Running Rogue and the Clean Sport Collective podcast. It is, again, an honor to share my knowledge through this platform, and I really appreciate everything that you guys have brought to me as listeners through our interactions through the years. So thank you for 2 million downloads. 
It's a big deal. All right, let's jump into my topic on super shoes. Okay, first of all, let's set a little context on the super shoes. So at this point, as listeners, you've heard all about this. Obviously, Nike kicked things off with their development of the Vaporfly that they were using in test form as early as 2016. That helped some of their athletes in the marathon distance qualify for the Olympics at that marathon trials in 2016 in LA. It took about three more years for them to be commercially available to everyone and for other brands to start to catch up. And so it wasn't until about 2019 that we started to see more ubiquitous use of super shoes across brands, across sponsors, and then going deeper into the fields. And now, of course, they're pretty widely available. Every major brand has their super shoe option. And so you can essentially now pick from a variety of, quote, super shoes that might suit your needs. Initially, for me, as someone who is not a Nike consumer, who doesn't buy from Nike, I've largely stayed away from them. And until recently, when I actually got a pair given to me, seated to me from Saucony. So I've been wearing recently the Saucony Endorphin Pro to try out, to, to try to understand the impact. And part of the reason why I'm doing that, one, because I got the shoe for free, and two, because I'm curious as a coach, the impact that this might have on training. And to learn and understand that, I need to actually wear them myself. And so I've been wearing them actually about once a week in either a workout or a race as I've started this journey in January for this speed track gearing up to a 10K that I'm doing next weekend. So I now have personal experience in, in them as well. What do we know about super shoes? Well, we know that they do give us, depending on the brand and model, and also depending on you as an individual, because we're all going to respond to the shoes in a different way. They give us about 4% better running economy. They make us more efficient because of a combination of the carbon fiber plate in the foam, but also because of the foams that are being used that are lighter and more responsive as well. So it's the combination of the plate with the foam that Nike really was able to solve and create this shoe that gives you about a 4% improvement in running economy. Other brands have obviously copied that and created their own version. And we know now that those perform all a little bit differently depending on you as an individual and how you might respond to each of them. And so if you look at the studies, then these super shoes will give you typically two to 6% improvement in your running economy and efficiency, depending on how you respond to them. That doesn't necessarily translate directly into a two to 6% time improvement because there's something called drag that is created when you run. And so you're losing some of that economy as it translates into time because of the increased drag on your body you might have by going faster. So typically you're going to see somewhere between a one to two and a half percent improvement in time if you're getting a four percent improvement in the economy. And obviously that will scale up or down depending on how much economy improvement you're getting. So it's a big difference. And to put that difference in perspective, there was a study released last year that showed the impact by looking at 
world major performances for the top 50 men and women in the world across the Boston, New York, Chicago, and London marathons. And so this data team looked at 10 years of results for those top 50 performers from 2010 through to 2019. So 10 years worth of results to try to understand the impact on times over time. And essentially you had really flat performances from 2010 until 2017. And then starting in 2018 and 2019, the times for those runners at the front of these races dropped. And for the men, it dropped by almost three minutes on average. And for the women, it dropped by a little over four minutes. So the average times of those top 50 men and women dropped by just under three for men and just over four for women at the very front of these races. So massive, massive difference. If you're talking about marathons, you're talking about minutes. And that would translate to even more time potentially for those athletes that are further back in the field because the impact of these super shoes, at least on economy, tends to scale up as the pace gets a little bit slower or has fewer degrees of fast because of the way the body responds. And so theoretically for those runners in the middle or back of the pack, the improvement in terms of time could be even greater. So there's no arguing that these shoes are having a massive impact on results. I think you can also more anecdotally see that impact that started to play out in the Boston qualifying times as that buffer has worked its way down through the years, especially over the last several years because of super shoes. And so you're seeing more and more of people in the main field using these shoes as well. And the reality is there is a real impact on the track. You're now seeing this as well as they've taken this shoe technology from the roads to the track. So all of these world leading world record times you're seeing on the track where people are just running insanely fast, not just at the pro level, but the collegiate level, those times are being driven by these new super spikes as this road technology has now carried over to the track. And on the track, I've talked to top elite athletes as well as top coaches, and I'm hearing that it could have as much of an impact as one to two seconds per lap on those athletes, depending on how they might respond. And so if a 10K is 25 laps, you're talking about 25 to 50 seconds faster results because of these super spikes on the track. And that's just the reality. That is the reality of our new world where technology has taken hold. It's had the biggest stepwise improvement from shoes in a very, very long time. And the World Athletics or formerly the IAAF, they've allowed it and sanctioned it as a part of sports. So just like the speed suits and swimming more than a decade ago, now we have essentially the same type of impact in track and field and running on the roads from these new shoes. And they are now readily available. There's also We're also at a place now where version two are, and even version three sometimes are coming out depending on the brand. And that means you're getting discounts on the prior models so people can actually get them at a more cost-effective rate. You're also seeing, because of the increased production overall, you're seeing the top-end prices come down ever so slightly as these become more available. And so here we are. As an everyday athlete, you have to be asking yourself, 
Should I buy super shoes? Should I buy these super shoes? The other storyline here is that in terms of racing flats, pretty much everything is going in this direction. So it's actually hard to find a racing flat these days or a lighter weight shoe that could be used for racing that doesn't have a carbon fiber plate in it. So you have to ask yourself, should I buy super shoes? And there's a host of things that go into that. And then once you have them, how should I use them? How should I break them in? How should they impact my training? And ultimately, how do they impact my racing? And so what I want to talk through is some of those big questions to try to give you as an informed perspective as possible on whether you should get them and then how you should use them. And we'll talk through both sides of the issue. And again, I'll give you my hypothesis on each based on what I know today recognizing full well that we don't know that much yet. We're still learning. There's still studies coming out on this, especially when it comes to things like recovery effect in terms of the ability to reduce recovery time because of these shoes. So there's a lot of questions that are just unanswered. And you have coaches that are trying to experiment and figure out what the impacts are. And so you've got a lot of real world experimentation happening. And I think you could have smart experienced coaches on both sides of all of these questions and debate. And there aren't any right or wrong answers, really. It's just a matter of what, what, what we might think as our hypotheses and how we want to then apply that to our training. So I'll give you what I think based on what I know from the data, based on now running in these super shoes myself for the last three months or so, and then you can make your own decisions about how to proceed. So let's start with that first question. Should you buy super shoes? Should you buy super shoes? And I want to make sure that it's clear that based on my experience training for 5Ks and 10Ks this spring, that these are shoes that will make you faster, that will have an impact regardless of the distance you're running. So this is not just a marathon shoe thing. This is something that could be used from the 5K up to the marathon. I even feel the difference noticeably in simply the track workouts that I'm doing. So if I'm wearing super shoes, even doing an interval as short as 200 meters, I can feel the difference. It's a spring-like effect. It's like you're running on a trampoline of sorts and you feel the propulsion happening. It's that real. So regardless of what distance you're training for, these shoes will have an impact for you if you want to get them. But obviously there's questions that you have to ask ask yourself and answer to decide whether it makes sense for you. And I want to first, in answering this question, just say that I don't think there's any judgment involved at this point. If you choose to use the super shoes that's on you. That's more power to you. That's a decision you're free to make. And I don't think anybody should judge you or point the finger or say, oh, they, they did it, but they did it in super shoes. So it doesn't count. I don't think any, I don't think there's any space for that at this point in our world and in our sport. I think if you wanted to individually note a a performance had a super shoe versus not, there's a real difference that's going to happen there. And so from, from one standpoint, if you're comparing times wearing super shoes versus times from the past, 
there is an impact. And so, you know, you could potentially personally want to note that, but I don't think anybody should be pointing fingers or saying that result wasn't good because you had super shoes on. I don't think there's any place for that at all. So this is all about a personal decision to decide whether or not this is right for you. And there's several variables that might go into that. I think one variable might be where you are in your running journey. If you're new in your running journey, then I don't think there's any reason not to use them because they're available to you, assuming, of course, that you can afford it, assuming, of course, that it fits into your budget and so forth, because you have so far to go and so much potential to reach if you're new in your running journey that between now and five or 10 years from now, when you're still at this, still chasing PRs, nobody's going to know the difference between what you did with the shoes versus out the shoes, without the shoes. On the, on the other side of that, for, for those that have been in this longer, like me, you know, who's been doing this for 20 plus years, I've reached the theoretical potential across many distances in terms of times I can run, especially I believe at the marathon. And so if I were to go and run a marathon in super shoes, then it would be very easy for me to differentiate between what was the impact of the shoes versus what was the impact of me. And that is the biggest question that I've been wrestling with around using them for the marathon distance. I've been using them this season for the 5K and 10K distances, but I haven't been trying to chase 5K and 10K PRs. And so it's not necessarily something that creates noise in my head around those events, knowing that certainly I'm able to run 5Ks and 10Ks fast faster this spring than I would be able to otherwise because of the shoes. There's no doubt in my mind that that's true, but it doesn't create as much noise for me because I'm not comparing myself to prior PRs. I'm not chasing those at the moment. But if I were to do that for the marathon, then I would know if I suddenly bumped two or three minutes down on my marathon time that that would clearly come from the shoes. And while that's interesting at one level, it's also not necessarily what I'm after at this stage in my running career. And so that's an open question still for me about whether or not I would use them for that distance. So that's one variable is you got to decide where am I in this journey? Another variable is perhaps the goals you might be chasing for those that are just trying to cover the distance or do this for fun or have goals that are outside of running specific times which are, which are all worthy and reasonable goals, then it may not be worth for you to invest your money and budget in these types of shoes. But if you're someone who's chasing particular times, who in particular might be chasing a Boston qualifying time, knowing that you're going to be up against a lot of people that are probably also wearing the shoes, getting that several minute benefit from having them on, then I think it's something you have to consider if you're at that stage where time becomes really important. And it may not be Boston qualifying time, but it could be about running a certain threshold time or getting a PR, knowing, of course, that the shoes are going to help you. But that, to me, is the type of goal or type of focus that would justify getting the footwear and investing in the footwear. Obviously, I mentioned budget already. That's an impact 
you're talking about spending 200 to 250 dollars for a brand new pair of these shoes especially if you're getting the latest model now of course now we're able to get older generations models generation models where you might be able to get them for 125 to 150 in some cases but then you also have a shoe that may not have the same impact because there is real evidence that that shoe sitting on the on the shelf does degrade a little bit before you actually wear it if there's been enough time for that. And so you have to weigh those choices and weigh your budget in this equation. Another variable to weigh here that was actually brought to my attention by Tina Muir, who does the Running for Real podcast, is that there is an environmental impact of these shoes. Nike has a version of the Vaporfly that is more environmentally friendly but in general, the carbon fiber plate is not an environmentally friendly thing. And so you have to think about your environmental impact with these as well. Another thing to consider would be potentially the impact on your lower legs. There is evidence to suggest that wearing these super shoes changes where the forces go in your body. There is some thinking in theory that the carbon fiber plate redistributes the load so that you're putting actually less pressure on your calf and your Achilles and more pressure on the middle of your foot and your knee because of the way these shoes are constructed. And so if you're someone who's had midfoot issues, whether that be on the top of your foot or the bottom of your foot, then this could be something that might aggravate you. If you've had knee issues, that's another area that could be affected by wearing these shoes and so that's something you might have to watch out for in getting them i know each brand might impact you in different ways and so that's something you want to think about there are certain elites like molly huddle who have had issues in the super shoes i know she was reacting negatively initially to some of the early versions of the Saucony endorphin pro from her sponsor which caused her to opt out of wearing those super shoes at the 2020 Olympic trials. So these are all variables you got to start thinking about. But again, the very top line, you shouldn't judge yourself or let others judge you. If you decide to wear super shoes, they are now a ubiquitous ubiquitous part of our running culture. Obviously, there's variables to think about. But if you make the leap, then that's all good to me. And great for you. And then it's a question of how do I choose a pair? How do I break them in? How do I use them? So let's get to those questions next. Second question here for after, should you get them would be how to choose a pair to wear, how to choose a pair to wear. And this is a tricky one because from what I understand, both from trying some on myself and also from hearing it from others, every brand is going to impact you perhaps a little bit differently or feel a little bit differently for you. I know certain elites like Melinda Elmore, for example, from Canada, she actually chose her sponsor based on how she reacted to their shoes. So she was choosing between Saucony and Nike and actually went to the lab and tried the Endorphin Pro and tried the Vaporfly to try to see which one gave her more efficiency, more running economy. And ultimately, she chose Saucony because as as her body reacted to those shoes, that's the one that gave her better running economy. And we're all going to have similarly unique reactions 
to the different brands, both in terms of the economy that they give us, the running economy, but also in terms of how they feel. Now, we can't go and try them on a treadmill and get scientists to tell us which one give us more more economy. So we have to make those choices on our own. And so what I would tell you is a couple of things on this dimension. One is I would naturally gravitate towards a brand that you're used to. Naturally gravitate towards a brand that you're used to. If you're used to New Balance, if you're used to Brooks or Saucony or Nike, gravitate towards a brand that you're used to because I think there is some similarity in terms of fit and feel by going from their normal shoes to their quote super shoes. Now, of course, the other thing to recognize in that is that the super shoes are going to feel very different. They're going to feel very different, of course, than what you're used to. Most of them have bigger stack heights. Their foam can be a little bit squishier. You'll certainly feel that propulsion, especially when you start to go a little faster in the shoes. And so they're going to feel differently. But I do think that if you gravitate towards that brand that you're used to, you're going to have some familiarity with it, even if it's just how the upper fits your foot. So that's one thing to think about. Next thing to think about is going to a place, a running store that will carry a variety of these shoes and options and just try on a bunch of them. Try on a bunch of them and gravitate toward or choose the one that feels most natural when you put it on, that feels most natural when you put it on. You know, Rogue used to have a running shoe store, still do associated with our business, although we sold that to Jackrabbit, who then sold it to Fleet Feet. So they're still a partner in our space. But I am personally out of the running retail world, but I've spent a lot of times on a shoe floor fitting people in shoes. And one of the primary fitting principles that we had back then was that you should choose the shoe that feels most natural, that disappears when you put it on, that you intuitively gravitate to because your body is going to guide you if you listen to it. And then that doesn't mean that you choose the one that feels the squishiest or cushiest, but the one that just simply feels most natural, that disappears when you put it on, that you, that you don't have to think about, that makes you think not wearing shoes, that I'm just ready to fly. And so gravitate towards the one that feels most natural if you're able to try on a bunch of different pairs and go go in that direction. I do encourage you to do that in person if you can, so you can get a real feel for it. Walk around in them, run a little bit in them and choose that one that feels most natural to you and then roll with it. Ultimately, you'll learn going through that first pair what works for you and then you can stick with it or perhaps migrate to something else if you don't think it was quite right but those are the two variables i would consider when you're choosing a pair what's a brand that you have familiarity familiarity with and then do your best to find pairs to try on go through a few different options across different brands and gravitate towards the one that feels most natural that's what i would do in choosing a pair i can tell you that I've been running in the Saucony Endorphin Pro and I really like it because I've tried on other super shoes before and most of them feel really squishy to me. I don't like a squishy feel. I like a responsive, firmer feel and I feel like the Endorphin Pro has that. It's a little firmer than most. 
It also feels to me like it's a little lower to the ground, so it doesn't feel like you're up on this platform like some of them. And it's a shoe that, for me, feels as close to feeling like a more traditional racing shoe than some of the others. And so that's the one that's been working for me as I've tried it here in the last several months. But you might be different, so go forth and try your options and gravitate towards the one that feels most natural to you. So next question before we get to impact and training on racing is how do I break them in? How do I break them in and use them? Which is a great question, especially if you have a race on the horizon because you certainly don't want to show up on race day and use them for the first time. And so here's what I've been recommending. The other confounding thing here is that often the guidance on durability of these super shoes is pretty limited. Nike was talking about you only getting about 100 miles on some of their super shoes early on. I believe that's still the case. Other brands are talking about a little bit more. I can tell you with the Saucony shoe, I'm probably about 150 miles into wearing it across several different races and workouts. And it feels to me like it's still doing its job. So I think that one is going to have a little more durability than others. And so you got to understand that. But that means typically that even if you might get 200 miles, you can't wear these shoes for a lot of sessions before you use them on race day. Otherwise, you're going to wear them out. So the question is, how can I use them in a way that allows me my foot to adapt and to, quote, break them in without overdoing it? so that then they lose their mojo before it actually matters. And so here's what I'm recommending people do. One is I recommend you start by just doing an easy run in them. Short, easy run, something three to five miles in length, just to make sure that the fit works for you. Just to make sure the fit works for you. I can tell you my first run in the Saucony shoes, I was having a little issue where the left side of the shoe was rubbing on the left side of my ankle on the malleolus. So I was getting a little bit of blistering underneath the malleolus when I was wearing them, just riding a little bit high on me for whatever reason. I actually adjusted my lacing on the second time wearing them and it felt much better. And so I think that first run is mostly about how does the overall fit work for me? So try an easy run first. Then I recommend going from there to doing a workout in them, something that would be six to 10 miles perhaps, with speed work involved, where you're going to get a real sense for how the shoe works, because you really do notice the difference when you're running easy in them versus running fast. And that's also going to give you a chance to run a little bit longer in them, making sure they're still working for you while also running at pace. And so you'll be able to really get a feel for that and make sure it's still working for you. If everything's still good, then I recommend wearing it for a long run. And that long run may vary depending on what race distance you're targeting. But if you're going for a half, if you're going for a full, then then run something that's in that 12 to 20 mile range in them, depending on your race distance, just to make sure that when you're covering the long distances, they work for you well. Ideally, in that long run, if you have a little bit of pace work involved, make sure that uh, that all still works, then that's perfect. And then I think after those three sessions, one easy run, one speed workout, one longer run in them, then you're ready to use them for either race day, if that's what's next for you, or perhaps to integrate them more fully into training. And that's going to vary depending on the brand you have, the, the durability associated with it, 
win your races, and then, of course, how you decide to use them in training, which I'll get to here in a moment. But those are the three runs I recommend in priming yourself to use them. And if you've done those three runs, an easy run, a track workout or speed workout and long run, then I think you're free to race in them if everything is working out for you. Okay, so now let's take a quick break from that topic and talk about my partner in Inside Tracker. Thanks again to them for sponsoring this episode. Again, as I've talked about before, they are a company that was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. They combine blood data, DNA data, and fitness tracking data to give you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes to aid in your performance. For me, as someone who's a master's athlete who's getting older, who seems to be more affected by variables that might be outside of my training as I age, I've found their tools really powerful. I talked last year about my issues coming out of the Boston Marathon where I was having some deficiency in some key vitamin and mineral areas. Inside Tracker has been able to help me make sure I'm staying on track in digging out of that hole that I created for myself last year. They can also do that for you. How it works is you go on their site, insidetracker.com, order the package that you want, which can include blood and DNA and fitness tracking integration into their recommendations. I chose the blood path, the DNA path, and got a blood drawn at my house. They then send it off and you get your results back in about a week. Combine that with the DNA data to give you recommendations on where you need to fill the gaps that might be unseen, that you may feel, but that you don't see. And so for me, in my recommendations, it told me I was doing a good job and kind of getting back on track with some of the vitamins and mineral deficiencies I had last year, but then flagged for me some new areas that I need to look at. So I'm doing that and you can too by using my offer code. You can go to insidetracker.com forward slash running rogue to get 20% off their entire store. Any of the options that they have, they just take 20% off the top. Again, go to insidetracker.com forward slash running rogue, rogue, rogue spelled R-O-G. UE. So go check it out. All right, let's get back to my topic here talking about super shoes. The next thing I wanted to dig into is what's the impact on training. And then we'll talk about the impact on racing here in a minute. So first question when it comes to the impact on training is when should I wear these shoes? When should I use them? Discussing this topic, I'm going to assume that you don't have unlimited budget or that you're not somehow getting an unlimited supply of these shoes like an elite athlete you might have access to however many pairs that they want. And so for most of us, as a practical matter, we're probably only going to have one pair at a time and we're going to have to be really diligent about how we're using that pair because, again, because of the durability issues that I mentioned. So now I'm talking. what I'm going to talk about is how should you use them beyond that initial break-in period? How should you use them beyond that initial break-in period? And this, to me, is going to depend a little bit on the distance that you're training at. If you're training for the marathon, that's going to look a little different than me right now training for a 5K and 10K because where you need to use them to really get a feel for them is going to differ. In my case, using them for speed workouts is going to be the closest thing to using them on race day as I can get. But for a marathon, using them during long runs is going to be the closest thing you can get. So if that's your use case, if you're a marathoner, then 
there's going to be one answer to this question. And if you're not, there's going to be another answer to this question. The answer to this question will also vary a little bit depending on the brand you're using and the durability of that shoe. So for those that are using the Nike Vaporfly or Alpha Fly that purportedly has about 100 miles in it before it's done, then you want to be much more selective about using that shoe than if you're in a shoe like I have, the Saucony Endorphin Pro, where I think you're going to get a little bit more out of it, probably about 200 miles. So again, things are going to vary a little bit depending on the durability of the shoe as well. But for those marathoners and assuming that durability is in that 100 to 200 mile range, after that initial break-in period, so that easy run, that speed workout, and that initial long run, then I'm going to recommend that you use this only on long runs with pace work in them, those race prep long runs. So you can get a feel for using it at pace over distance, which is going to most closely approximate your marathon. And so once you get through that break-in period, then I would recommend primarily and only using the super shoes on those long run workouts. If you're training for short stuff like 5Ks and 10Ks, then my recommendation would be to use them for key speed workouts or key prep races that build up to your target race. For me, I've been using them about once a week, primarily for my key speed workouts. And then I've also done the two 5K prep races that I've done now in those shoes, gearing up for my 10K coming up here next weekend. So those are going to be the ways you want to use them. For those marathoners, use them on those key one, two, three long run workouts prior to your big race. And for those that are doing 5K and 10K, use them on those key speed workouts and perhaps any key prep races that you have to most closely approximate when you're going to be using them for the race that matters. For half marathoners, I would think of it like the marathoners where you're going to use it for those key half marathon workouts embedded in your long runs. For those of us at Rogue, we're going to have two to three of those key half marathon workouts prior to your target race. And that's where I would focus those shoes after your break-in period. So the primary usage should be most closely associated with the activities that will most closely resemble your target race. So long runs for half marathons and marathons, particularly those long runs that have some pace work embedded in them. And then for 5K and 10K, you can use them on those key speed workouts and some of those key prep races leading up to your target 5K or 10K. But overall, I would be selective about where you use them, primarily because of that durability issue, but also because there's some evidence, including folks like Jared Ward, who was quoted in one article saying that if he wears the Saucony Endorphin Pro from his sponsor too much, then he does start to have some foot issues as, again, these shoes place different pressure on different parts of your body than your body might be used to. So beyond that, use it for those key workouts that most resemble your target race, and I would avoid using them more than once a week at this stage, not only because of the durability issues, but also because you don't want to overdo it so that your body breaks because of the variability in where it's putting the forces on your feet and knees and ankles. So that's the question on how you use it. Second question is, 
what's the impact on recovery? What's the impact on recovery? And this is an area where we just don't know. We just don't know the answers. There was a study that was released by Nike. And so you have to consider the source that does say that the biomarkers in the blood and muscles for muscle damage and inflammation were reduced after wearing the vapor flies in a marathon. And so a study from Nike would say that that's true. But again, that's looking at simply muscle damage and inflammation in the bloodstream. It's not necessarily considering the aerobic and the mental impacts of recovery. Anecdotally, you'll also hear people say that their legs feel less sore, feel better after doing a hard effort in the super shoes. So this is probably the biggest open question where we just don't have enough information and science about what the super shoes might be doing for recovery and if they're reducing recovery. Then the other related question here is, even if you assume that recovery is reduced, then you still have to ask yourself, well, how am I going to invest that? How am I going to invest that? Am I going to invest that in doing more volume overall? Because now I can handle more total load. Am I going to invest that into longer, harder workouts, perhaps? Or am I going to invest that in more frequent workouts? And so there's different ways to invest that theoretical recovery benefit as well. The other thing here that you have to consider is that the super shoes you super shoes allow you to run faster at the same effort than you would be otherwise. And so they're pushing you to a faster place at the same effort, which means that you're getting theoretically a neuromuscular benefit in a sense that now I can go faster at the same effort than I would be able to otherwise. So I'm able to carve, so to speak, new neuromuscular pathways. But because I'm going faster than I normally would otherwise, that's potentially compounding on the other end the need for recovery. So I can tell you as someone who's been wearing them for this speed cycle, anecdotally anecdotally for me, I don't feel necessarily that my recovery times are shorter because the workouts that I'm doing are fast, hard workouts. I'm running times that I haven't run in many, many, many years as a 42-year-old athlete. Some of that is because the fitness is still there, and some of that's because the super shoes are allowing me to go faster in some of these workouts to do quarter repeats in low 70 seconds is something I haven't done in a very, very long time. That is partially enabled by the super shoes, but that also means that I'm getting neuromuscular damage that I wouldn't be getting if I was running mid-70s for those quarters. So I do think there's an offsetting element here where, sure, you might have theoretically the ability to recover faster, but if you're investing that into doing faster or harder workouts, then maybe that's offset. Then the other piece here is that we're all different. We're all going to respond individually different to the super shoes. And so I suspect that we that also means we're going to have different impacts to our recovery if there is an impact. And that's going to be harder to tease out if you're trying to apply rules of thumb here. So my general thought process on the recovery side is that you should assume that you need the same amount of recovery wearing the super shoes as you do the regular shoes. That is the operating mode I have as a coach because we don't have firm data on it yet. 
and because individually we don't yet know how it might feel for you. And so my hypothesis is that there isn't necessarily a streamlined recovery benefit because I think we're going to offset that by being by the fact that we can run faster in the shoes and therefore you should still build in the same recovery elements that you do normally in terms of time, in terms of easy running, in terms of all the other recovery modalities that you might use. I think you should assume that those variables all stay the same, even the super shoes. And then of course, try them out yourself and then see how it feels. I can tell you, I feel as someone who's been using them for three months that I still need the same recovery that I would have needed otherwise. And if you try it, then you have to ask yourself that same question after using them for a little bit of prolonged period of time. And then if the answer is no, then status quo, do the same that you have before. If the answer is yes, that you feel like there is some incremental recovery benefit, then you can start to experiment with how you might invest that recovery benefit, whether that be investing it in total mileage, harder, longer workouts, or more frequent workouts. And I would probably think about it in that same hierarchy, that initially, if there is a recovery benefit from these shoes, then people, most people are going to benefit first and most by investing that in more total volume so that they can increase their overall aerobic capacity, which is the primary variable and vector on which we all improve. Second thing to invest in would potentially be longer, harder workouts last thing I think would be more frequent workouts. That would be the last thing I would consider only if someone was showing an absolutely insanely positive response from these shoes. And so in the end, I don't think anything will change much when it comes to the recovery benefits from the super shoes, but that's how I would think about it. If you do feel like you're having a recovery benefit, then I would first invest it in bigger volume overall. And of course, if you're at that place where you're doing that, do it very cautiously with small incremental changes so that you don't overdo it. Okay, those are the big training questions. When to use and whether or not it impacts recovery. Let's talk now about the racing questions. And I've got two primary ones for you here. First is how should this impact or how might this impact pacing? Second question would be, how might it impact the frequency of races? How might it impact the frequency of races? From a pacing perspective, based on what the studies are telling us, then you're going to potentially see across all races, you're going to see a three to about eight second potential impact per mile across your target race paces. So kind of a three to eight second impact, probably around five seconds is the right starting place to use as as a benchmark if you're going to start making those adjustments. And how I would think about that is that if you're wearing super shoes, then obviously when you're in training itself, then you can take your target paces. And when you have those super shoes on, try those same paces, whatever they might be, just adjusting down by five seconds to see how it feels and then start to incorporate that when you use those shoes, either in workouts or long runs, so that you can understand whether or not that adjustment fits with the effort you think you should be targeting at that given effort level, whether that be 5K, 10K, half marathon or marathon pace. And so use that roughly five seconds as a starting point and then calibrate from there. And then when it comes to race day itself, assuming you have some validation in training that 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 
five, that three to eight second buffer applies, then you can apply that on race day as well. The other thing these shoes are going to do is give you more staying power at the end of races in theory. So especially at the end of half marathons and marathons, when you typically have that leg fatigue that's really starting to build up and take over, what we've seen with elites racing is that they're able to sustain paces a little bit better. So this super shoe phenomenon, I think, plays in even further to the idea of a strong negative split finish. And so my advice with it is to, as you think about your race plans, just know that there's going to be potentially more to get at the end of the race. I wouldn't necessarily change how I structure race plans. I would structure it like I typically recommend, which is especially for those longer distances, starting a little bit slower, working down to your target pace, holding that for most of the race, and then trying to really progress and close well at the end. And that's where the magic is. I think the same is true in super shoes. But in theory, if those shoes are having less of an impact on you late in a marathon or half marathon, for example, then you're going to be able to close better, close harder, and take some of that energy that you've saved earlier and invest it at the end of a race in a stronger close. Just like Shalane did finishing in Central Park in New York in 2017 as the New York City Marathon champion. As an associated note with this topic, I do think over time, as we understand the impact of the super shoes and as you as an athlete become more experienced, I do think the super shoes enable over time to potentially move towards even more even split racing. Typically for the marathon, especially, I like to see a bigger negative split for those newer athletes to the marathon. And as they become more experienced at the marathon, then they give themselves a little less margin for error, start a little bit strongly and still have a negative split but start to narrow that negative split so that they move towards even splits with experience. But I do think the super shoes could potentially accelerate that learning curve because, because they do leave you a little bit fresher, so to speak, at the end. That allows you to more quickly move towards that even split in the marathon. Not necessarily perfectly even, but slight negative split from the more dramatic negative split, doing that more quickly because the super shoes are more forgiving late in the race. But that's not something I would jump right into if you're a new marathoner. That's just something I would think about over time as you start to play with it, with your race strategies and race plans. You're still going to want a negative split, but the super shoes could potentially accelerate your movement from that bigger more dramatic negative split to a narrower negative split that's more closely associated with close to an even split. So again, it doesn't necessarily change the overall strategy around a negative split in these races, but it does potentially accelerate that learning curve. And then of course, overall, you're going to see times that are, that are just faster overall, that three to eight for, as, for some of you, maybe as, as much as 10 seconds per mile impact across all of your paces that you should start playing with in training. The last big question on racing is, what about the frequency of races? What about the frequency of races? Does this give us the ability to race more often? This is a an area in the marathon distance that people are widely speculating on. Does this super shoe phenomenon 
allow us to now race marathons more closely together. Sarah Hall being a prime example of someone who's experimenting with that as she just raced Tokyo, has Boston coming up here in a couple of weeks, and then is going to be racing the World Championship Marathon in August. So that's basically three marathons in a six-month span, where typically a runner would do no more than two in a six-month span. And I am highly, highly skeptical of this approach. Highly, highly skeptical of this approach. And I just don't think there's anything there as much as people want it to be. Simply because, especially at the marathon, not only is there a massive physical cost to doing a marathon, but there's also a massive mental cost. The other thing to factor in here is the fact that if you're building to a peak, we know about human physiology that you can only peak two or three times a year and you can really only hold that peak for short windows. So if I'm thinking about track athletes who might be racing in a few different windows, indoor track, outdoor track, they're trying to peak for a couple of periods a year where they can be at their best during those championship windows. And they might be racing more than that, but ultimately they're trying to be at their very best at their peak shape for a couple of windows a year that might sit in a two to three week span, max four week span. And so in those windows, when they're at, when they're at that peak, they might be racing. If you're thinking about the shorter distances, the 5k distance, or even the 10k distance, they might be racing a couple of times in that window and trying to expect a peak result but not typically more than that. And that's for much shorter distances. So this idea that you could run a marathon and then two months later still be at your marathon peak, I think is just frankly crazy. It defies the logic of recovery, but it also defies the logic of peaking. And so I'm not one here who believes in this theory that now suddenly people can be racing at their peak a bunch of marathons in a short window of time. I just don't think it works. I don't think it accounts for the physical and mental need for recovery from a big race like a marathon. And I don't think it accounts for this idea that you really can only peak and be at your top shape for short windows at a time. And it takes many months to build to that. So I'm not a big proponent of this idea that the super shoes allow us, especially for the marathon distance, to race more frequently. Now, does it allow us potentially to have a little bit better recovery between a few peak races in a short window for a 5K, a 10K? Certainly, maybe that's true, but that's already kind of true in that I can race a couple of 5Ks within a two or three week window and still be able to get good results out of those. I think the super shoes might give you a little bit more there in the sense that you're having a little better recovery in between, but that's not something that you're going to notice dramatically. And it's not something that fundamentally changes the frequency of those distances that you can do in a short period of time. I think the half marathon is probably actually the area that is most intriguing in this area where you, if you could do a couple of half marathons that might be two or three weeks apart within the same peaking window, that I think might actually be most facilitated 
buy the super shoes. But again, that's not something we've seen a lot of history for yet. And so if I'm an everyday runner, that's not something I'm playing with a whole lot. Now I might still be willing to do a couple of marathons in a, excuse me, a couple of half marathons in a season because that's something I can do today, but I'm still going to pick one of those half marathons. That would be my peak one that I'm really trying to max out for. And I'm not going to necessarily cram a bunch into a short window. I just don't think the upside for that outweighs the potential risks and costs. But if there was an area where you might be able to squeeze more frequency and potentially get a couple of big results in a shorter window than before, I think it's at the half marathon distance. But that is a yet unproven hypothesis that personally I as an everyday athlete wouldn't play with. So that's my perspective on the impact of super shoes on racing. So there you go from should you wear them to should this mean you can race more? Those are my answers based on what I know today, based on my current hypotheses in this space. And I reserve the right to evolve and change my knowledge. But I hope this gives you a few things to think about as you're navigating your own super shoe journey. If you have questions or if there's other things I didn't address, would love to get to those. You can always email me, chris at roguerunning.com. Would love to have follow-up discussion on this if you guys have anything in mind in that area. So let's wrap this episode here. Thanks again to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. Again, you can go to insidetracker.com forward slash running rogue for 20% off their entire store. You can also check us out at roguerunning.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.